Welcome to Sleepover Cinema, where we analyze the films that created the collective unconscious of those who are unconditionally and irrevocably not like other girls. I'm Hannah Leach. And I'm Audrey Leach. We are the sister filmmaking duo, also known as Two Pink Productions, and we haven't stopped thinking about these movies since we first saw them. We're going to explore the good, the bad, and the nonsensical of the movies that first inspired our love for film in an attempt to answer the question, are these movies actually good? And at the end of the day, do we really care if they are? Today, we are talking about 2007's Sydney White. Your mom would be so excited you're going to her school, going to join her sorority. I'm not in here, Dad. On a campus full of wannabes. Still the fairest of them all. Incoming moose missile! Sydney White was an original. Tyler Prince, beta president. Sydney White, no title. But in a house where everyone is trying to fit in. It's not always good to stand out. That girl is not Kappa material. I think she's cool and cute. I hereby dismiss Sydney White from the Kappa Pledge class. You will never be a Kappa. Do you need a place to stay? Yeah. Guys, this is Sydney. Sydney, meet the guys. Hello. (laughs) Hi. Now, she has the campus talking. Oh my God, Sydney's on the hot list. This isn't happening. Ah! A prince courting. Starting to think I'm making nervous. <laughs> no. <laughs> and seven outcasts. Hi, ho. Bye, ho. Taking on the campus queen. Ow! Do you really want to spend the rest of your college years powerless? Okay. No. No. And we're going to take the Greeks down. Yes. Universal Pictures and Morgan Creek present It's time to take back the school. A comedy about teaming up Go, Sydney! to beat the elite. I'm the last person you want to mess with. No, you're the first. Sydney White must die a social death. Amanda Bynes is... Sydney White. Didn't you kind of want to cover this one? I feel like last season you were you wanted to cover this one. Well, I definitely wanted to revisit it because I couldn't remember like anything about it. We're not saying anything yet. We're not saying anything yet. But what is our uh, what is our discussion topic for today before we get into the movie? Yeah. So today we are going to do our first advice column moment um, instead of a hot take of the week. I don't know what the segment would be called. So this is our first Ask Handry segment. And our first question (laughs) comes to us from Savannah. And Mm -hmm. she asks for advice on how to get over a friendship breakup. As someone who has endured a extreme amount of friendship breakups, um, which I know makes it seem like I'm the common denominator and therefore I'm toxic, but I swear <laughs> to God, I'm not toxic. Um, That's exactly I what just, a toxic bitch I know, I know. <laughs> I swear to God that um, I was really bad at like articulating boundaries. Like I would be really scared to bring up boundaries or be like, no, I can't make your breakfast every day and no, I can't call the bank for you or whatever. 
I don't know. I feel like the biggest thing in general with friendships, especially if this is like a female friendship situation, is articulating your boundaries from the very beginning. Like, you know, uh, female friendships or just like non-straight male friendships can become really codependent really quickly. And I feel like I could have avoided a lot of these painful friendship breakups in the past if I had been a little bit less timid about articulating boundaries in the first place. Um, But in terms of the friendship breakups, I think also really clear communication is like the biggest favor you can do yourself and kind of the other person. Like I know it's really scary to be like, this is the end of our friendship and now we're walking away. But like the most painful part of a friendship breakup, at least in my opinion, is like the slow tearing away and like the slow starting to ignore each other, starting to not uh, interact anymore. So to me, if you have the nerve, (laughs) um, I think trying to cut it off as cleanly as possible and before things get really ugly and passive um, would be the best course of action. But I also know that they really, really, really suck and like they, if not handled correctly, can literally haunt you for years. (laughs) It's scary to state your needs, but like, in the end, you will only benefit and the person who you're like friendship breaking up with will benefit too. I, it I'm is really hard. The type of person who like cannot know that somebody has an issue with me. Like, I mean, I mean same. It, it doesn't happen very often. So when it does happen, I mean, it's if I same. don't know about it, that's whatever. <laughs> it's fine. But if I do right. know about it, I like cannot rest until it has been squashed but we have that in common what do I do I harbor resentment and then I (laughs) and then I wait to make a new friend (laughs) oh my god I mean (laughs) but not in a bad I mean what else you like it's very like time heals all wounds type of thing yeah no it's it is true it is a time heals all wounds type situation another like helpful framing device not to bring up framing devices, but like, <laughs> you know, when you when you have a friendship breakup that's like so devastating, it's really easy to like take your other friends for granted or like take other people that love you for granted. But like, you know, it's like the negative bias or whatever the human thing is where it's like you could have a great day, but if you stub your toe or not stub your toe, like have a great day, but get caught in the rain and then the whole day gets gets turned into being about caught in the rain. I think like really trying to appreciate your other friendships and like good things in your life will put it into perspective. But friendship breakups are the absolute worst. And I'm sorry if you are going through one. Yeah. Well, I hope we were able to be somewhat helpful by just yes. um, bearing our own <laughs> um, issues. Our own but. souls. Yeah. If you, if Savannah, if you want more counsel, you should send me slash us like a voice memo explaining the actual situation. Yeah. Because <laughs> I could give better advice if I knew more deets. Audrey, are you ready to talk about this? A wondrous <laughs> film. I don't even know, but yeah, I guess so. Okay. So Sydney White was released in theaters on September 21st, 2007 with a uh, very controversial rating of PG-13. Ooh, for our show, that's uh, a little edgy. This movie was directed by Joe Nussbaum, male director, Red Flag, and he directed George Lucas in Love. Well, the things he's like known for, it's like George Lucas in Love, Sydney White, which is also a red flag, Just Add Magic, 
the TV show <laughs> Awkward, very significantly the movie Sleepover that we covered a few seasons ago. Very weird to me that a movie that girl-focused would have a male director, but you know, we're just going to go with it. This movie had a lot of producers. There were like six or seven people listed. Um, and Sydney White is a notable credit for all of them. And TBH, that says a lot. Um, but notably, yeah. I just picked two people whose <laughs> credits were kind of interesting. <laughs> um, James G. Robinson worked on Ace Ventura, Major League Two, Robin Hood, The Prince of Thieves, and Last of the Mohicans. And then Clifford Webber did work on a Cinderella story and all of the following installments of that franchise. So at least there's that. And then last but not least, the screenplay was written by Chad Gomez Creasy. <laughs> and I just have to say, it's very clear that this movie was written by a man once again, but he was a staff writer on Pushing Daisies, also on NCIS New Orleans. And of course, he wrote the screenplay for Legally Blondes. Would you like to read this synopsis? Yeah, let's see what it is. Okay, synopsis. This modern retelling of the classic fairy tale, Snow White, follows a beautiful college freshman as she pledges her late mother's once dignified sorority. But after discovering that today's sisterhood is not what it used to be, Sydney finds her home away from home with seven outcasts. With the help of her socially challenged new friends, Sydney will take on the reigning campus queen to attempt to transform the school's misguided social hierarchy. Do you want to read these taglines? It's a tagline and then just another thing that I saw on IMDb. Yeah, so first tagline is freshman year is no fairy tale. And the second is also known as Sydney White and the Seven Dorks. Which I was like, they should have named it that. They should have named it that, actually. Because it made me think like, wait, was that part of the play on words the whole time? That they're dorks? Like dwarves, dorks, like, yeah, is that it? Probably. I never would have put that together if it yeah. wasn't for my research. They use the word dork too much in the movie for it not to be in the title. Like, they the, literally at the end, they're like, we're dorks. Like <laughs> Now getting into this cast. So, first of all, we have Amanda Bynes as Sydney White. I don't really need to give much more detail other than that, except she was like approaching her breakdown at this point, but wasn't in breakdown mode yet because um, Hairspray also came out this year. So you can kind of like use that as a measuring yeah. stick. Um, next, we have Sarah Paxton as Rachel Witchburn, worst character name ever. <laughs> and of course, she's Aquamarine and Aquamarine, period, Duh. forever and always. Um, that is her most iconic role. Apparently, she's going to be in Blonde, which is an upcoming biopic about the inner life of Marilyn Monroe, which is interesting. She also, apparently, Sarah Paxton, that is, was in an episode of Jonas and Wizards of Waverly Place, which I would love to see. Uh, she was also in Last House on the Left, Darcy's Wild Life, and she was in the Mary-Kate and Ashley. It's like, you're invited to Mary-Kate and Ashley's Christmas party. But she also was in Halloween Town, one of them. Halloween Town 4 and also Sleep. Over. Next up, we have Matt Long as Tyler Prince, also horrible. And he was 
Joe in Mad Men. He was in Jack and Bobby, Private Practice, Manifest, The Deep End. I don't know about any of those except Mad Men. And then we have Jack Carpenter as Lenny. He, which is like the dork that she's the closest with, um, who has like deep Adam Driver vibes, in my opinion. He was in I Love You, Beth Cooper, The Good Wife. He was also in... Kill more girls a year in the life, and honestly, not a lot else. The best thing I discovered in my research is Crystal Hunt played Dinky, and she hasn't had a ton of credits either, but she is in or was in a soap opera called Hilton Head Island, <laughs> and it's hosted on a streaming service called Pure Flix. On their website, they say God honoring and inspiring media on any device at any time. PureFlix takes great care in previewing and selecting content so that you can rest assured that it is free of violence, sex, and language surprises. At PureFlix, you can have faith in your entertainment. I was just really tickled by all of that. And also, I uh, I pasted the artwork for this show into the notes, and it looks so bad. Also, though, I fucking love this woman. Like, I don't know who... I, like, love her chaotic energy. I like her. Yes. There's something about her. Next is Sam Levine as Spanky, literally just reprising his him. role from Freaks and Geeks. Me too. He's basically just playing a grown-up version of Neil from Freaks and Geeks. But I'm not exaggerating when I tell you he has been booked and blessed nonstop since then. Um, he was in Inglorious Bastards, Not Another Teen Movie, the 2017 Wet Hot American Summer, Vacation. Like, every single year, he has, like, at least two or three credits. So, he's busy. If you have never looked into him... Well, first of all, you should definitely watch Freaks and Geeks. Um, it's getting better with age. Like every time I rewatch it, I appreciate it more and more. But also his early late night interviews are hilarious because he's like <laughs> way too smarmy. He's like out smarming the host. And it's just, it, there, it is partly cringe for sure. Yeah. Um, because they're like, why is this tiny man, this tiny young man, like <laughs> trying to like tell dirty stand-up jokes as a guest on my show. Like, it's just, it's kind of funny. I'll have to look that up. That sounds extremely cute and funny, honestly. Audrey, would you like to take us into these numbers? Yes. So the budget for Sydney White was 16500000 Opening weekend made 5196380 It's <laughs> not good. I mean, it's okay. <laughs> It's not great. Gross worldwide, 13620075 Yeah, that's not good. <laughs> that's, that's a flop. Um, it got two stars on Rotten Tomatoes and a 25% critic score. And then we have a few little quotes from critics. One mm -hmm. person said, quickly descends into tedious schmaltz. Yeah. <laughs> the second mm -hmm. one is Sydney White isn't incompetently made. It's not even particularly offensive. It's just very, very uninspired and almost instantly forgettable. <laughs> and the third one is strictly for teenage girls. Sydney White is not totally without charms, but is too breathless, too cheesy and far too dorky to leave a favorable impact. 
Also, I felt like saying strictly for teenage girls was like a microaggression. So now, interestingly, audience score was 70%. And I feel like that's kind of the widest spread between critic and audience that we've had in a long time. But I got three little audience reviews to read. So the first one, really good watch, would watch again and can recommend. A modern day retelling of Snow White. Not an easy task to get a modern ensemble cast to be significant, but they do a good job for the characters being mostly socially awkward societal rejects. Amanda Bynes pretty much carries the movie, but that's to be expected from a Snow White. The fun twist is they went with a versus the rich trope against Greek Row instead of her being princess-like. This movie is a lot of fun, and Amanda Bynes does a great job of competitive girl on the social battlefield, as does Sarah Paxton. The next one says, good movie to watch at home home two stars and then the last one says it's cute but predictable nice movie to have a relax three stars (laughs) so I don't know why some people are using this as like their unwinding content but they are and then just a little bit of context for 2007 because that's when this movie came out September 2007 other movies that came out that year that are notable to us include bring it on in it to win it Juno Bratz Superbad and Hairspray. The iPhone debuted in 2007. Jordan Sparks wins American Idol. Um, This was also like deep, deep Harry Potter era. The fifth movie drops that summer. And then 10 days later, the final book, Deathly Hallows, drops. What a time to be a middle schooler. Potentially most relevant to our show, Miley Cyrus's Best of Both Worlds tour, in which she performed as both herself and Hannah Montana, kicked off in St. Louis. The concerts sell out in minutes across the country, prompting outcries from angry parents and lawsuits against ticket brokers who resold seats to eager fans for as much as $2,100. So as we talked about in the last episode, 2006 is the launch of Hannah Montana. And by 2007, here we are dealing with this level of extremity. When did we first watch this movie? What do we remember? I actually do have a a couple things that I did remember, but do you want to go first? Yeah, so I know that I saw this at my friend Sydney's house in middle school. Ooh, okay. Because I just remember, I think she owned it like on DVD. And I remember being in her living room watching it. I know that's the first time. I've maybe seen it one other time in my life, but I don't remember. So I do not remember when I saw this the first time at all. I have zero memory of it, but I know I'd seen it before. Maybe we rented it for like a car trip at some point. Like I would buy that. But the things I did remember before we were watching were Sarah Paxton, Greek Life, Snow White, ableism, question mark, maybe bad, question mark. And that's all I had. We should honestly make a spectrum of not like other girls movies. If there was a spectrum, this one might be (laughs) on the far end defining the furthest in that on that side you can get other than she's the man yes, <laughs> yes those right. two that are, doesn't count that doesn't they are count fighting well yeah. regardless of the fact that she's you know d- disguised as a man in that movie it is ex- still an extreme not like other girls movie yeah when well, she they just really girl. want to put her in that position. Yeah, they do. They and want it, Amanda Bynes in that role. Okay, we're going to... That, that, this is my first topic after the break. So, Audrey, 
you're spreading the gospel to me. I've finally actually done it. I watched this movie on Tubi. Yes, <laughs> I'm the sole brand representative of Tubi. If you want to go watch this shit on Tubi, you should. Um, and we will be right back to talk about uh, this special, <laughs> special movie. This monstrosity that has been <laughs> unleashed. That's a Lilo and Stitch quote. Oh my God, wait, I cannot wait to cover that movie. Same. Because I have really specific memories about that movie. <laughs> yeah. Do you? Yeah. I mean, I I yeah. know it really well. I literally know the Hawaiian in the Hawaiian roller coaster ride. <laughs> wait, I want to do that one next. Can we do that next? <laughs> Okay, okay, okay. We're going to take our break and we will be back momentarily. Hello, everyone. My name is Matt Neglia, and I am the host of the Next Best Picture podcast, part of the Film Entertainment Awards website, nextbestpicture.com. On our show, we explore all year long what is possibly going to win Best Picture at the Oscars. We do this by conducting interviews with people within the film industry, holding weekly reviews of the latest theatrical releases, and on our main show, where we dive into various different topics, answer your fan questions, and also do our best to explore Oscar history's past in hopes that it will tell us something new for this upcoming award season race. We hope that you will join us on all of the various podcasting networks. We look forward to seeing you over at nextbestpicture.com. Okay, everyone, we are back, and it is time to talk about 2007's classic film starring Amanda Bynes, Sydney White. As I said, my first topic here is that mm-hmm. right off the bat, you can see the pain in Amanda Bynes' eyes. You can see that she is detached from this project. She doesn't really understand or care yeah. about the text. She feels like she is kind of acting through like three masks. It's so far from her being able to be her authentic self that it just like makes me sad. You can tell that she's Mm -hmm. been affected by the roles that she feels she has to play and what Hollywood has like squished her into. And this movie feels Mm -hmm. like the ultimate representation of that person that they wanted her to be. I think it's interesting that with your point, everyone in the reviews was like, Amanda Bynes carries this movie with her quirky, whatever the fuck, because that was most of the reviews, but I didn't put them in because I was like, this is not a fresh take. I think that was true for She's the Man, but I don't think it's true for Sydney White. When you compare the two, it's like, oh, she was clearly enjoying She's the Man a lot more than this one. Yeah, I don't know if that's even true. I also know that like after the fact when she saw She's the Man, she hate like she hated it because she hated seeing herself as a boy on screen and all that. I do have some positive notes. 
Okay, yeah. I, I have a couple, but go ahead. They really casted, like, the hottest guy they could find to play her father at the beginning. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, okay. Um, just like uh-huh. dad, you know what I mean? Like hot dad. Yeah. Um, yeah. Obviously, I love that Sarah Paxton is in this. Something doesn't sit right with me when she has to play a mean girl because that's not, just because she's blonde doesn't mean that's her typecast. Like, I don't see that as her typecast. I don't know. I don't think she's very good at being mean. I wrote down that it's interesting that her type shifts so much because she was so good as Aquamarine, who's like not a villain literally at all. And I just, and I feel like most of the time people like in that era and girls in that era couldn't like shift around as much as she got to. Mm -hmm. And I'm just wondering how much of that was based off of like what she looked like. As I said, I love this this girl who plays Dinky. She reminds me of 2008 Taylor Swift. And it's like... I, I had that written down too. It's right. It's so right. Props to them for their realistically bad acapella scene. <laughs> oh, agreed. Agreed. <laughs> Except that scene was so... Like, they let it be excruciating. Yeah. And it's so bad to the point where you don't even know if she's going to say yes. Yeah. It's like, she might say no. This might be a deal breaker. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the song Beautiful Soul by Jesse McCartney, mm-hmm. but the worst edit of I it. I wrote that down too. Because. Bosh. You got, if you're going to use that song, you have to get to, I don't want another pretty face. I don't want yep. just anyone to hold. But they didn't. They didn't hit it. They just did these little lines. They did like one line and then they were talking. So they took out the vocal and then they'd go back. I'm pretty sure it was like, I don't want another pretty face. Talking in the scene, talking in the scene, talking in the scene. And then they're like talking, talking, they're in the car. And then it ends with. I want you in your beautiful soul. Like you don't even get the middle of the chorus. You're like, you paid the licensing yeah. for that song to butcher it that hard. Yeah. It's not okay. There's just like, you got to use the most powerful part of the song. The, um, they wouldn't have used the bridge, but the bridge of that song is great. Wait, how does it go again? It's like a, it's almost like a breakdown moment. Like, I kind of forget how it goes, but it's like, nah, 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 Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I think I know what you're talking about. Also, they use Breaking Dishes, which is a great song. They use the Veronica's song, Revolution. And I was like, damn, yeah. the Veronica's, they're good. Yeah, the music supervisor really helped them out here uh-huh. with bringing some respect to this film. Yes. And of course, finally, things are looking grim, brothers. Wait, I didn't even notice that. You're saying that's it was good? so bad. <laughs> I'm saying it's so bad that it's good. Things are looking grim, comma, brothers. <laughs> that is really, really bad. Okay, yeah, there's only two things that I thought were good that you didn't say. I really liked the line where the guy who runs the blog says, People's Punisher is not about being read, it's about being written. And I was like, 
(laughs) We can all relate to that. Any sort of creative person can relate to that. Another line um, that is so bad it crosses into good is hi ho bye ho. My, there were some moments where my eyes rolled so hard, you could probably, like, hear it from the next room over. Like, yeah, it was. There's just so many, like, ooh. really bad moments. I don't even know how to think or or feel about it, but the diversity montage. We're not, we're not talking about the diversity montage well, to yet. Me, to me, I was, I put it in appreciate because I was floored by it. I was absolutely floored by it. I was like, I, I truly could not tell if it was problematic or not. Me too. I, I wrote, uh, I don't know if I should be touched or deeply offended right now. <laughs> Neither of us have been in a sorority ever. Is it actually like this? What I noticed is how much they were crossing over debutante culture, especially at the mm-hmm. end with mm-hmm. sorority culture. And also there is a large difference between Northern sorority culture and Southern sorority culture. The The way that you find out you're a pledge and the way that you find out you actually got into the sorority are two different. It's right. like d- a different process than what they have in the movie, which makes sense. I mean, most audition type processes are changed in movies because it just both in like in every way, like in theater or like, you know, singing a solo or like whatever it is, usually those types of processes are altered. The lines between worse now and dated and problematic, it's almost non-existent. Like it's just one category. Yes. I mean, obviously the screenplay is horrible, especially the apartheid and oligarchy moment when they're in the lecture hall. I'm like, who are you making this for? I'm confused. What is the deal with Amanda Bynes' hair in this movie? Yeah. I, like I think it might be a wig. A par- yeah. I think it's like a wig. It's a wig for sure. But then there's parts where it's like the front chunks are her hair. And then yeah. there's parts where it's clearly like a hard front wig all the way to the front. And I'm just like, damn, like why? Yeah, I also wrote down only cool girls know what oligarchy is. (laughs) Right, exactly. Um, You have to be a really, really special kind of girl to know what an oligarchy is. Also, only tomboy girls who are also hot and fit into beauty norms can appreciate homeless shelters. That element of it is really bad. Also, there's just like certain moments of the whole thing that were so painful. The most painful one, I think, in the entire movie for me was Poisoned Apple, where they hack into her apple and then it dies like her apple computer. I was just like, I'm slamming my head into a wall. (laughs) That was that was a part I rolled my eyes at the hardest by like a really large margin. All the ways they try to shoehorn in this stupid framing device. I feel like they amp it up so much in the second half. Like she's sleeping in the library and he comes to kiss her when the dorks are like weirdly walking in a straight line with their picket signs. I was just like, why are they laying it on so thick just in this one like 10 minute chunk? This movie has a huge pacing problem because- You get 40 minutes in and it feels as though the entire arc has played out, which is her going through 
uh, recruitment and then ultimately not getting in to the sorority and then her saying fuck you basically and leaving. Yeah. That could have been its own movie. That is the 40 minute point when she leaves the uh, pledge, the pledging thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so when when that happened, I was like, okay, what are we going to do for the next hour? <laughs> like, yeah. you just have no clue. Like, I really did not know where where the stakes were going to lie in in the right. s- in the hour left of the movie. There was a line at the end where she says, "It's time for the rest of the school to take over the school." <laughs> I know. I noticed that too. I'm like, "Who wrote that and what does that even mean?" I was like, "What?" <laughs> You're like, "Is this a first draft?" The answer is yes. I actually will say regarding the speech about equality at the end that I wrote down I feel like this, okay, just go with me on this journey. I feel like this movie could have been anti-white supremacy, but like executed super weirdly and also in a very 2007 way. But I can see like if they tried to do it now, it would honestly be even cringier. Yeah, I mean, if they did it so overtly, like if they did it in such this blatant way of like having a literal montage of like different cultures and groups of people like talking to Amanda Bynes, like the whole Pacific Islanders thing and then the LGBTQ thing and then the Jewish people. I was like, what is this? What is this? Every time that like a new sign popped up for like who they were going to go talk to, I like braced myself to see how they would be portrayed. Yeah. The part with the trans woman in it, I was kind of like, oh, this feels almost touching, but am I just being stupid? Like, what do you think? I think we've just come so far from that moment that we know we're too educated for this particular Mm -hmm. portrayal of Mm -hmm. a trans woman. I think the truth is we are not in the position to say whether it's wrong (laughs) or not because we are not a part of any of those communities. But I will say, just verging into a different problematic thing or whatever like the fat phobia existed but I didn't really feel like surprised by it I guess really the main thing is it felt a little instructional which always sets off uh like alarms in my mind of like what foods Mm -hmm. you should eat what foods you shouldn't eat like if you give too much detail then you're like causing problems you know you're portraying the mo- most popular and powerful people and also mean and flawed, I guess. But like you're portraying them as all having eating disorders and like disapproving yeah. of those who eat what they want as though that is a negative quality. Well, but also it's the whole thing. It's the whole not like other girls thing because Sydney's <clears throat> like, do you want to have real breakfast? Like, look at me. Like, I'm skinny and I eat. It's just like, yeah. you know what it reminds it, me of? It takes me all the way back to a Cinderella story. Yeah. All the way back to a Cinderella story with Chad Michael Murray being like, I want a girl who eats hamburgers. I don't even know how to break it down, but the, the entire concept of, like, Amanda Bynes being the one. Aman- like, if Amanda Bynes is the other, then who— <laughs> Then who? Yeah. Like, yeah. we're all fucked then, I guess. Yeah, like, I, right. I don't exactly. know. She is different usually because she has a dead parent who had a job that wasn't, like, super fancy. 
It's also it's like the Demi Lovato thing in Camp Rock. Like anytime you lie about your parents' occupation, you know it's gonna be a problem. <laughs> it's gonna be why do that? It's gonna be bad. And again, this is like how this is AI of every other movie we've covered. Like that element got dragged in somehow. No one gives a shit if your dad is a construction worker. No one gives no. a shit if you eat some pie. No one cares about these no. things. I no, think. No. It's always difficult because there are seeds of truth. When you see tropes mm-hmm. that are so blatant and, like, offensive, they don't come from nowhere. Like, there, there is some seed of truth to that in the world. Mm-hmm. It feels so gross. And, like, when, when Sarah Paxton's character also screams like a maniacal villain yeah. at the end when she's defeated, I was like, what— why are what is wrong with these men's heads? Like, what is yeah. actually wrong with you? And and them having her say Chanel and like Louis Vuitton as her like calm words. Yeah, it's like Prada, like, Gucci. They they were like making us believe that a certain type of woman is shallow. It's it's also like not that deep. Like they're not thinking mm-hmm. about it, but like none of this shit exists in a vacuum, obviously. I also did write down based off that moment, <laughs> even though it's not, it doesn't fully fit, I wrote down, can she not be rehabilitated? <laughs> after they shit on her life. But she's not getting, like, thrown into the frozen depths of the ocean, so it's not really the same thing. What are are adults telling girls about how they should interact with each other and, like, how they should see each other? This movie just is has a lot of internalized misogyny in it from top to bottom, in my opinion. It's like a chicken or the egg thing. Like, who start? Like, where does this come from? Who's perpetuating it? Who started it? Who plays mm-hmm. into it? I'm mad that I can't only be mad at men for it. It is the classic chicken or the egg because it's like it's like this because pop culture is like this, and then it's like, but why is pop culture like that? So on and so forth. It feels very. Um, like the simple life inspired, very like mid 2000s MTV inspired, that kind of energy. Mm-hmm. Obviously, this is like the lowest common denominator of this sort of movie, like kind of trying to cater to boys while also catering to teen girls, like wide audience, weird vibes in general. And it's just really bad. Mm-hmm. The whole, it's, and it's not worth watching, no. unfortunately. It's a huge miss. <laughs> It's a huge mess, and it's not fun to watch. I'm just, I'm sorry for everybody involved. We all deserve better. We, we <laughs> Yeah. From our production end, there were a few moments that I could not stand. One of them was Amanda sitting in the rain on the curb, and also the acting of the horrible fake crying. Mm-hmm. That was not okay. And also when she and her love interest are like looking out at campus at sunset. And it's just like so clearly green screen and horrible lighting. Like that part was so bad. I had to text Audrey and be like, how is this real? Yeah. But again, like I won't shit on them too hard for that. It was passable at the time. Like whatever. Low, some semi low budge actually. I have two. I have two other things too really fast. So, you know when she takes them to the gym and is trying to get them to work out? Yeah. I was like, why is she trying to change them? Because isn't the whole point that they tried to change her and the sorority and it didn't work? And doesn't she like the dwarfs? The dwarfs. Doesn't she like the dorks for the fact that they're dorks? So why is she trying to, like, get them to change? Well, I think 
Yeah, I think that the gym was just simply the wrong setting to bring them to. I think in the script, the idea there, it was kind of supposed to be about socializing, but it's also a gym. So mm. I think, yeah, that right. has mixed messages. Um, but when she yeah. brought them there, she was like, yeah, this is where people hang out. Not their people. Yeah. <laughs> and also when she's there, it's not any of the minority groups that she later puts on a pedestal. She... It's just a bunch of, like, jacked white people that are in Greek life. Like, what is... There's... Something's not connecting there for me. Yeah. Well, she does send mixed messages herself as far as, like, moments where she does give in to the sorority culture and then moments where she doesn't. As a closing question, and I don't think any of these people are no, are <laughs> watching or listening to our show, but I truly mm -hmm. would want an incel's perspective on this movie. Oh my god. <laughs> Me too, actually. I haven't uttered the word incel in so long. <laughs> and if anybody doesn't know incel, that's involuntary celibate individual. Yes. I th and it's like the stereotype is that it's like deeply online Trump voter, like lives at parents' house in a bad way. Yeah. Um, Says really oh misogynistic shit. They they portray these guys as like as in the seven dorks as um like almost like some of them are like nonverbal. Like they're like they're like cavemen. Like I don't know what's going on with these people. Yeah, it's true. And um it's true. I think that it, it almost kind of felt like maybe that's how those Maybe that's how incels like kind of feel about themselves or how society perceives them. That that might not be how they see themselves, but how, you know, the the popular people, if you will, or the conventional people <laughs> see them. I don't know. Yeah. Incels. <laughs> you know, <laughs> we'll have to get an ask an incel segment for this. That's really what we need. It's super interesting. Like, I actually want to know, but I don't want to talk to one. I don't, anybody who will self-identify yeah. as an incel, that's scary. <laughs> that's really scary. I don't think anyone would self-identify as no, an incel. No, they do. Probably. I think they do. Well, I was going to say, I feel like no one would, like, admit to that, like, out loud or, like, on like on a podcast or on camera, but I've also seen videos of people doing that. So yeah. maybe there's like a, like a resident representative <laughs> in cell we can talk to. Yeah. That's the only reason I know is because I've seen videos where it's like me talking to an incel. You can only assume they labeled themselves. Bro. So it's bad. And I hated it. I'm sorry. I won't apologize for it because I no promise apologies. you, if you loved it, watch it again it is garbaggio, kids. It's bad. It really is. It's really bad. No cultural impact. No. Case closed. Honestly, read it and weeps looking real good right now. Oh, I totally agree. I totally agree. <laughs> looking rosy. So next week we'll have to, well, I guess we won't know until we try, but we'll have to watch something perhaps a little bit more uh, fulfilling. Yeah. Well, everyone, thank you for joining us on this <laughs> journey of negativism and social commentary. Let us know what you think if you rewatch it. I'm sure you'll hate it too. LOL. You can, and you can tell us about it on, um, like on our Instagram story as usual. Audrey, anything else to say? 
Yeah, I can't wait to see what what everybody's memories and associations with Sydney White are. I hope they're just as toxic as I want them to be. <laughs> Same. Okay, everyone. We will see you next week. And uh, thanks for listening. Bye. You can find more from us at evergreenpodcast.com slash sleepover-cinema and keep up with our latest creative projects at twopinkpictures.com. We're on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and YouTube at Sleepover Cinema and post a full video version of each episode on YouTube and Facebook every Thursday. And if you like the show, if it brings back evocative memories of childhood or tweendom or babysitting, share an episode or two with a few friends. Sleepover Cinema is a production of Evergreen Podcasts, produced, edited, and engineered by us, Hannah and Audrey Leach. Sleepover Cinema is mixed by Sean Rule Hoffman and has theme music by Josh Perlman Hall. Our executive producer is Michael D'Aloya. Leave us an iTunes review telling us what movie you'd like to see us cover next, or leave us one because you like us and it's good for the algorithm and we need it. We'll chat again soon. Bye. You know, a lot can happen in seven minutes, and luckily, that's how long it takes me to tell a story. My name is Aaron Calafato, and I'm the creator of 7-Minute Stories. I'm proud to partner with Evergreen Podcasts, and I'd like to invite you to join me on this journey. I'm going to take you on some crazy roller coaster rides using my unique extemporaneous storytelling style, and together, we're going to try to make sense of the world, all through the art of storytelling, and all in approximately seven minutes. This podcast was produced with the support of the Ohio Motion Picture Tax Credit and in partnership with the Ohio Development Services Agency.